What's going on, everyone? Hello, hello. Josh here in your ear. Welcome to the Holy Ruckus Podcast, your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. And I'm joined today by contributors and founder of Where Peter Is, uh, Mike Lewis and Dr. Adam Ramison. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. If not, he's going to correct me right here. And we're going to talk about the recent developments that have hit an executive order of sorts by our Papa Frank, Pope Francis. His Holiness has dropped a bomb on the church, not literally, but it's something that has uh, shooken up some folks. And some people know what's going on. Some people don't. Some people are lost in the sauce. So that's what we're trying to do is clear some things up. What did the Pope say? What didn't he say? What can we expect? What changes are being done to um, something that's an old faithful that a lot of people really vibe with, people that I know, Catholics that love um the uh, the Latin Mass um, that now has restrictions, as uh, Pope Francis issues an apostolic letter, kind of putting the clamps on this for the foreseeable future. Um, but let me not talk about it. Let's talk about it with people much smarter than me. If you like what you're seeing, or if you've been with us, or if this is the first time, go ahead, like and subscribe and share. But definitely hit that church bell. Be notified when we drop the latest episodes of the Holy Ruckus podcast. Without further ado, let's drop that intro. We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. Why were you made? I was made to be happy. The way to be happy is to know truth. Love goodness. In other words, I am made for God. Pero quiero lío en las dioses. Quiero que se salga afuera. You are now listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. We got some guests in the building, or at least on the stream. Mike Lewis and Dr. Hello. Adam. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hey, it's Adam Rasmussen. There we go, Rasmussen. I apologize, Doc. I mean, do you prefer just the doctor? Because you are a doctor. You're, you're well more esteemed than me or Mike. You can just call me Adam, though. If you call me doctor, I'll sound like a physician. But you can call me master because I have a master's <laughs> degree. So I'm more than happy to go by that name. I'm not saying that. And that was a, that was a pretty incredible intro, Josh. Oh, I thank think. you. Like Did that. your wife put that together for you? Yes, yes, yes. And that's not an insult. That's a great thing. No, yes, no, I know. I know. She's, oh, I know. she's really good. Like, I, I, I want to hire her. Mike. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. I'm messing with you. Mike, the way you just came off, it was like, nice outfit. Did you? <laughs> did your wife dress you? <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, she makes, she's our editor and she, man, she knocks it out of the park in terms of our video editing and, and things like that. So we're so excited um, that she's married to me because otherwise, where would we be, Mike? Where would, where would I be without? We would be like, you know, probably in a bar somewhere talking about all of this and drowning our sorrows in, you know, cheap beer. But no, there you um, go, there you go, and and no, no alcohol. At least I'm not drinking. I don't know if you guys. Are I'm drinking, not. I'm not. Well, I'm having a delicious, delif delicious tumbler of water. Like, you, you know go. how podcasts are always like, "What are you drinking?" And then they've got. They're like, "Oh, I'm drinking some cocktail from some yeah, other like, country that you've never heard of." And it's like, like no, what's in your glass? Like tap I, water. I, I was though, like I was earlier drinking like. So this is a throwback. This is a throwback. It maybe shows how young I am. But when the Lord of the Rings movie came out. 
I remember uh, these like Burger King goblet glasses. You know these like these uh-huh. goblet glasses that came out. And sorry, baby. Um, and uh, I remember getting like all four of them. And so I had some cherry coke with this goblet <laughs> glass, and it was awesome. And my kids are here. <laughs> they just got yeah. their haircut, so they want to show me. Hi, kids. It's really short. All right, babies, I gotta go. I gotta go. All right, she's adorable. Maybe some water. Maybe some water. Hook me up. Ice water. Ice water. Hook it up. Hook it up. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you're rocking with the best of Holy Workers podcast. I got here uh, Adam Rasmussen and Mike Lewis, and we're talking about the latest developments in the church. Uh, slow news day, you think, or what, fellas? Medium. Holy cow. You know, it's funny because I woke up in the morning and I actually didn't check Twitter right away. And then I opened up to like a bunch of like DMs and emails and like the first three or four of them that I read are like, holy snap, what do you think's going to happen? And like, I, so like I knew something was big and I didn't know what it was. And I kept going through the messages to see if someone would tell me. And then eventually I, I got the rundown, but yeah. Um, so, so you were, so someone was hopping in your DMs and I was like, okay, Mike's married. So the, that expression getting in your DMs is a little different, but let's go, Adam. How about yourself? Uh, for you, where were you when you found out? My wife told me, I think I had just gotten out of bed probably. And she was like, boom, you know, and it actually reminds me of when the Pope resigned, Pope Benedict. And I think she tried to make me guess for that one. She's like, you won't believe it, you know? And no, I did not guess that the Pope had resigned. But there you know, you we knew this was coming. So it's like it was it was just like, oh, okay. But then somehow people still felt shocked, even though we knew it was coming. Like honestly, though, I think what happened was more dramatic than anybody anticipated. Like even the people who were most critical of Pope Francis, I think that they were prepared to like condemn whatever he did. Yeah. But I think most people thought he was gonna do something that was gonna like delay the expand or you know hold back the expansion like you know everyone that's doing it now is okay you're grandfathered in but we're not gonna we're not gonna get you in at that grandfather rate well let's yeah let's spell it out mike uh what what did he uh what what did pope francis just do and to whom and why should we care well so basically what he did um was the so in the year 2007 almost exactly 14 years ago i think the anniversary was July 9th or something, um, Pope Benedict put out a document called Samorum Pontificum, which uh, liberalized the, uh, which granted priests more ability to say the mass, the old Latin mass, the pre-Vatican II missile, um, according to the old rite. In the past, they could only do it with with permission um, from their bishop and the bishop might designate one or two parishes or no parishes uh, in order to accommodate the people who were attached to the old mass. Um, this was in the lead up to uh, Pope Benedict talking in negotiations with the Society of St. Pius X, which is a, a group started by an Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre in the 1970s in France uh, that rejected the changes of the Second Vatican Council, including the old mass. So Pope uh, Benedict was working to get this group reintegrated. Like, you know, there are about uh, supposedly about a million people that go to mass around the world through this society, maybe less than that. But they, um, you know, they, they have their own chapels, they have their own bishops, they have their own priests. We see their masses maybe as, uh, as valid, but not licit. Um, 
And, you know, the longer a group stays away from full communion with the Catholic Church, the, you know, the, the harder it is to come back together. So Benedict did this partially as a gesture to this group to say, hey, you know, if you guys want to become, um, you guys want to come into full communion, look, you can have your mass. Um, a, another benefit that he saw was that obviously, you know, there's a lot of um, abuse in the new mass, you know, especially, I mean, you hear about stuff that went on during the 70s and, you know, it's like, holy cow. I mean, you know, you hear about the notorious clown masses or Halloween masses or, um, you know, people bringing in homemade bread or making up their own words to the liturgy. And he thought that, the, you know, if by freeing up the old rite, which has a lot more regulation and, you know, is is calls out more specific stuff that you can't deviate from, um, he thought that, that they, the two rites of the Mass would mutually enrich each other. Well, you fast forward um, 14 years later, well, 13 years later, Pope Francis decided to put out a survey to all the bishops of the world to see, well, how is, uh, how is this coming along? How, how is the, the Latin Mass playing out in, um, you know, in the world, out in the field? And the responses he got back were along the lines of, well, there are a lot of people you know, that are, that are joining these communities who, you know, have separated themselves from, you know, the, the mainstream of the church. They've, they criticize the Pope. They, um, you know, they don't agree with the Vatican council. It seems that they're not happy with an accommodate, just having an accommodation. They see it more as a, um, you know, this is the first step towards completely reversing the second Vatican council and bringing back the old mass, which was never the intention. Um, and obviously, you know, with my work from where Peter is, I've been hearing all these, you know, reports from the field, people who go to the Latin Mass or used to go to the Latin Mass regularly, who have seen that their communities have become much more radicalized, um, you know, don't respect the bishops, don't respect the Pope. A lot, some of them are verging on either saying the Pope is the, you know, is an anti-Pope or is a heretic or Benedict is still the real Pope. Um, it became clear that there were that there were some serious issues and people were getting the sense and there were rumors that Pope Francis was going to do something about it. Um, the document finally dropped on Friday and I think people were just jaws dropped at how um, at, at what he did. Like basically he said he he explicitly repealed Samorum Pontificum and the and, and the allowances that uh, John Paul had and basically pushed us all the way back to when Paul VI was Pope. Um, and I, I think Adam can probably add to the theological and, and all of that kinds of things. But obviously, um, for people who are attached to the old mass, I mean, this is a this is shocking. I mean, some of the rules, I mean, it's it's not going away completely. And I think most bishops for pastoral reasons will accommodate it. But I think a lot of people were feeling this momentum in the Latin mass, like it's coming back, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. And they didn't really see it as a, you know, using it as a transitional phase at all, or to help get Catholics unified before, uh, you know, fully, fully impl implementing Vatican II. Um, they say it takes a hundred years to fully implement a council. So we're right. a little, 
<laughs> you know, we're, we're, well, and certain aspects of it. I mean, you know, I think in the seventies and eighties, we saw a lot of like really crazy liberal stuff, quote unquote, liberal stuff coming out of, you know, as a result uh, or in the aftermath, I'm not going to say as a result of, but in the aftermath, right, I, I was born in 88. So I, I, I might've missed some of those, but I've seen some pretty crazy uh, liturgy like pictures and well, and I mean, people, I mean, like my mom told me about, you know, like all the stuff that went on when she, you know, right after Vatican II at her parish growing up, I mean, some, you know, some pretty crazy stuff and people breaking rules and, um, you know, a lot of ad-libbing, a lot of like saying we don't need this rule anymore. We don't have this moral belief anymore. I mean, just kind of, I, I mean, everyone kind of knows that narrative. Um, but then I think in the last 10 or 15 years, it's actually the pendulum has kind of swung in the other direction. Where now it's it's sort of a reactionary fundamentalist approach right. to where the you know the more Catholic than the Pope, that that concept to them it's not a joke. They think they they take that they think they are more Catholic than the Pope. It's so. and and that's the hard thing, and that's what I think he lays out a little bit. Talks about he sees the divisions, and if you look at the reactions to the to the work itself from the crowd that is is hit hardest, I mean, some of them. I mean, you, you can't help but be like, wow, like you're kind of proving his point um, yeah. that you think you are more Catholic than the Pope, or you're saying that he's illegitimate or that, uh, that Vatican II wasn't legitimate and things like that. And we can respectfully have a discourse, but I will talk about what we thought in terms of, do we think this was a measured attempt or this was so crazy, but uh, I want to get Adam in here a, a little bit else. Um, Cause Mike, you, you laid out kind of the why the need to, to bring this out. Um, Adam, anything that, that might, that might be a, a, a value that we're kind of missing here in terms of what brought us to this point. Uh, well, I think Mike certainly covered it really well. So I don't, you know, I'm not going to correct anything he said at all, but I do think it is a somewhat measured approach in that the Pope could have just absolutely brought the hammer down, right? He could have by his own authority as the Bishop of Rome, which means he is the Supreme legislator of the Roman right. He could have just banned it, right? He could have just said, you can't do that. But that would have been a really, really bad thing to do. And he knows that. And that's why he didn't do it. So essentially what we're seeing here is a sunsetting of the of the so-called Latin mass. I don't like to call it that because, of course, the, uh, the new reformed right that we've had since 1970 for 41 years now is written in Latin. All of those texts are in Latin. And a priest who knows Latin can do it in Latin at any time. Um, so I'll call it the, the old Trident, the Tridentine, right? Right. From the council of Trent. Uh, he's not going to do that. So what we're, we're sunsetting it basically because there's a ban essentially on priests ordained beginning today. If there was a priest ordained today, uh, he is not permitted to use the Tridentine, right? Without explicit authorization from the Vatican. Right. But if a priest was ordained yesterday or sooner, uh, then he can, uh, he's, he still needs his bishop's approval, right? So he can't just do it on his own anymore. That's been taken away, but he just needs his bishop's approval. But because they're, they're basically saying, look, we're grandfathering it in with the old, the priests, old priests who already have been around, who are already doing it, or maybe they weren't doing it yet, but they, they can still sneak in if they want, learn it. They can keep doing it as long as the bishop's okay with it for the rest of their lives, they could do it, but we're not going to be letting any priests in the future 
uh, be doing this. And the reason is, and this is what struck me the most, and I was very happy with it because theologically I completely agreed with it. He says outright that the goal in terms of how the bishops are going to implement this, their goal is to restore a, uh, a uniform, a unitary uh, Roman ritual so that there will only be the reformed version eventually. It's not a two-track system anymore. With Benedict, he's saying, we're going to let any priest do it. And the two forms, which he called ordinary and extraordinary, ordinary meaning the, the new one that all Catholics are familiar with, extraordinary for the old one that, to be honest, only about 1% of Catholics have probably ever seen it. They could enrich each other. They could sort of coexist, like a peaceful coexistence side by side. Pope Francis has essentially closed the door on that and said, we really just want one Roman rite. Now that may sound radical in some way, but it's just a reversion to the way the Catholic Church was for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before 2007, right? So Benedict actually was doing something new, something innovative to say we could have two expressions of the Roman rite. He did not say two Roman rites. That's impossible, but two expressions of it that could mutually coexist. So we kind of had an experiment for the last 14 years of what would it be like if we had these two? Benedict well, said we could revisit that if there were problems. Well, guess what? There were problems and we've revisited it and we're we're dropping it. Just a, a quick question, Adam, for clarification. Um, I know that prior to Vatican II, there were, and you know, and after Trent, there were some older rites mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that were preserved, like the the Ambrosian rite, and um, I know the Sarum rite, but that had kind of extinguished. Was the one in in England? Um, but uh, how is that? I mean, is that comparable to the ordinary and extraordinary, or was it a separate rite altogether? No, no, no. That's a separate rite altogether. So the Ambrosian rite is really interesting. So this is also can be called the, the Milanese, right? So it's Milan, it's the liturgy. It's, I don't know its roots, what century it can be traced back to. I don't know its history. It's not my I mean, it's history. named after St. Ambrose, who was right. Bishop of Milan. Right. So, so. So, so it may go back in some capacity to the fourth century, but uh, that would be the liturgy then of the city of Milan. The Roman rite, that doesn't mean the Western rite or the Italian rite or the Catholic rite, because we have many Catholic rites but it means the, the, the rituals of the city of Rome, which in some forms we can trace back quite a long way. We certainly can't trace it back to the apostles or anything right. like that, but it does go back a while. And what we actually have, and I, I feel that many Catholics don't really know this, they're not aware of this, not that they need to be, but the Roman rite was originally the rites of the city of Rome, where the Bishop of Rome is the Bishop, right? And if you were living in England or Spain or, or France or what have you, or even Milan, elsewhere in Italy, you weren't following the Roman rite. You were still a Catholic. The Bishop of Rome was still the successor to St. Peter, obviously, but everywhere had its own rite. And what happened is in the Middle Ages, in the late first millennium, this movement gets started of cities want to imitate the Roman rite, basically. They start adopting the Roman rite because of the prestige of the papacy, which is sort of growing in the Middle Ages, um, more and more they just start copying it and imitating it. And eventually with the Gregorian reforms around like, I think it's about the 12th century, um, 
we find it sort of becoming the universal and exclusive right in the Western church, not 100% exclusive. There are other rights that sort of persist, but it becomes the dominant 99%. So then what? where do we get this idea then of it's like the only one we do? Like if you're Catholic, supposedly you do this, not technically true because there are Eastern Catholics, but okay. It's the Council of Trent, as you said, Mike. So the Council of Trent is the big push to just unify all of the West um, under the Roman rite. And so what they do at Trent, which Pope Francis cites this as kind of, he says it gave him comfort because I guess he can, maybe he kind of felt bad to do an action that's sort of suppressing in a way, right? It kind of goes against Pope Francis's general mentality of kind of diversity and, and tolerance. So he sort of, it sounds like he kind of felt bad about it, but he said he consoled himself that the same thing had been, been done at Trent is that they suppressed all rights except the Roman right unless the right could prove like documentary, like with documentary evidence, if they could prove this right is centuries old, like it goes way back, then they were sort of grandfathered in, okay? But the practical reality is, except for that Ambrosian right, basically any other rights were destroyed by the Council of Trent, you know? Um, and so we were left with only the Roman right. And yes, the Ambrosian right is still celebrated uh, in Milan, it's not celebrated anywhere else. Um, and the and Dominicans, it's not even... I think, have a right to, or don't well, they, I think or... theirs would just be considered a variation of the Roman. Okay, right, so, I think. So, Adam, I guess my my, and then have we all been to a a Latin mass before? Raise your hand. Yeah, if you, yeah, if I you have. have. Yeah. Have we all? Okay. Yeah. So I, I remember, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was I was at Franciscan University, and I remember going to, and it, and it was an extraordinary forum. So it wasn't a low. It was a high mass. And I just okay. remember coming in and then receiving like pamphlets and they were like, you know, like it was more than what I'm used to. Cause usually, you know, in, in the ordinary, we just, I mean, it was, it was, you just walk in and you know what to do. It's the same as it's always been. Right. But I just remember the doors closing behind me and then someone saying, this mass is going to be extra long. And I was in college and I was like, no, and I, tried <laughs> I didn't want to make a scene. I didn't want to make a scene. But what I can say about um, the, you know the extraordinary form, like the, the mass, was it was it was beautiful and it was super reverent and, and there was peace. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, half the time, but I went with it. Um, it's not something that I would you know go to now. I mean, especially now. But like, I don't know. Uh, for you guys, was this some, uh, a mass that you guys regularly attended yourselves? Um, what was it for you, Adam? Like, was it a one-time thing? One hit wonder? How about you? Yeah, it was a one-time thing. I went, I don't remember the year, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. And I just went to find out. I somehow saw it. I can't remember. I believe they were doing it once a month or something like that. It predated Samorum Pontificum. So it was still being done with that explicit permission from the local bishop uh, and was still very much kind of a uh, an unusual thing, although I think they did do it once a month. And I went and I, I certainly had no like objection to like what goes on at it, which I don't know why anyone would have an objection right. per se, but um, I didn't have a profound emotional reaction to it. I know some people who are the, the sort of people who are very upset today, they speak of kind of having this really strong emotional reaction to the experience. And I, I mean, I didn't have that, you know, and I, I actually think most Catholics wouldn't wouldn't have that. 
Um, that's not discounting people's experiences because we all, some people love folk masses where they're playing the guitar and singing these post-Vatican II hymns. And some you don't know anything know. about that, do you, Josh? <laughs> now, now, why do you have to go and do that now? <laughs> First time I ever saw Josh, he had just been hired as a youth minister at my parish. Okay. And, and he comes out after, you know, I think after the communion, right? Like after the communion song, Josh with his guitar starts strumming and playing Here I Am, Lord. That was yeah, the first time I ever saw time. Josh my entire life. So, um, there and, you go. and I have a good memory. Um, yeah, and, and, memory. and I mean, I think that's one of the things like, um, you know, a lot of traditional traditionalists will say, you've either, there are two kinds of people who have been to the Latin mass people who've been once and people who go all the time. Um, and that, and a lot of the people who go once they go once, they don't have uh, a huge, uh, you know, positive experience. I remember, I mean, I, so I, I've been twice. Okay. Um, both, both were high masses, both had very beautiful choirs. Um, and I'm not, and, and yeah, I'm not going to denigrate anyone's experience. I think one of the things that was interesting um, and, and that, is I can understand why there's an appeal to it. And I, and I know anyone who's watching this, who's into the Latin mass, it's like, you know, three people talking about discovering an alien country, an alien planet or something. But it's, I mean, it, for other people, it's, it, you know, it's definitely commonplace. It's what they're used to. It's what they love. Um, I find that with the Latin mass in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily people coming into the church that have discovered the Latin mass. A lot of times it's it's it is converts or it's people who you know reverts or people who have started becoming more serious about their religion, reading about the faith more, who you know that they, they maybe get tired of the suburban you know 10:30 a.m. mass experience. They discover the Latin mass. Um, a lot of there's a there the complexity to a lot of the prayers in that mass are much more profound and much more theologically um, rich. And uh, Paul VI actually was quite clear when he said about the reforms, he's like, yeah, we did simplify um, the language of the mass so that it's more comprehensible to people so that they can, you know, they can understand what's being said and they can respond. I mean, there was an intentionality to simplifying the right of the mass and, um, to him, it was worth it. Obviously, you know, John Paul II felt very much the same way. Uh, John Paul I felt the same way. I think Benedict had some mixed feelings, but I think coming from that academic, you know, very sophisticated intellectual atmosphere, I think I think it makes sense that that he would have felt more of a loss than a lot of the other um, than than other popes. And and in the case of uh, Pope Francis, he's the first pope to have been ordained a priest in the in the new rite. Um, he was ordained in late 1969, and it's. I was trying to figure out if he was ordained in the old or the new um, new rite, and he it was the it was the new one. It, I mean, he might have been the first Jesuit class in South America that was ordained according to the new rite, and I assume he was ordained as a deacon under the old rite or under the 1965 temper if there was a temporary ordination. Right. But um, I think, you know, following Francis's papacy closely, he's very, very much formed by the council. And 
I think he maybe has a little bit less sympathy, not being from Europe, where this traditionalist movement, I mean, in Buenos Aires, they have the SSPX and they tend to be um, pretty aggressive. Like I know that. Tell him, Mike. <laughs> well, I know that, I mean, I, that there's a story of that. So Bishop Williamson, who's sort of the rogue anti-Semitic bishop of uh, that used to be in the SSPX, but he was too extreme for them. He was the head of the seminary in Buenos Aires for the SSPX. And I know that uh, in the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral where, where um, Pope Francis was the, the archbishop, they would have a uh, like an interfaith prayer music service with the Jewish community uh, to commemorate the night of the long knives in this cathedral in, in Buenos Aires. So it's this, it's this, you know, Jewish people and Christian people, Catholic people getting together and having this solidarity. Well, the SSPX thought it was sacrilegious for Jewish people to be praying in their, in the cathedral. So a bunch of seminarians and faithful from the SSPX would barge in every couple of years, loudly praying the rosary to disrupt this prayer service. And this is the kind of thing that would happen so this maybe is Pope Francis's background with the traditionalist movement was seeing this 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 radical, intolerant, um, you know, frankly, I mean, maybe not physically violent, but doing moral violence. Uh, right. And, and you outlined that earlier, right? About yeah. looking at uh, Pope Francis as like illegitimate or Vatican II as, you know, not binding and, and all, or a fake council and all these things. Is that solely what people are, are kind of grasping onto because there's nothing wrong with the mass itself. Correct. Like there's nothing, it's the mass. Like there's nothing wrong with the extraordinary form. Um, aside from the fact that it's in another language that maybe a lot of people don't, don't well, know. It's not, it's not even a matter of the language. Actually, if you want, if you want to know the truth, one of the recommendations I would have, and I'm not Pope, I'm not Bishop. I know Washington DC does it now uh, at St. Matthew's cathedral yeah. is to implement a regular ad orientum, Latin Novus Ordo Mass at okay, various so, locations. So, so ad orientum meaning facing. So ad orientum is 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 facing the uh, you know the priest facing the the altar or the apse or the you know the tabernacle, east, and right? with yeah. with the people behind him facing east, and um, you know we have Spanish masses, we have English masses, we have Italian masses, we have Chinese masses. Why not have a Latin mass? You know, we have, have youth I mean, masses too, Mike. We can have youth That's masses. That's a language. <laughs> The language of youth. <laughs> That's right. We it's don't culture, have culture, 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 culture. Yeah. Yes, but but I mean, you know, St. Matthew's. One one of the interesting things is like uh, the Archdiocese of Washington has never really had a huge issue with radical traditionalism. Like I know now, there's like an SSPX church in Upper Marlboro or something like that. But for a long time, we never had any of those like schismatic movements. And one of the reasons why was because right from the beginning, we have had the Latin. Novus Ordo in St. Matthew's Cathedral. So people who wanted Latin Mass, yeah, it's not the old rite, it's the new rite, but it's but it's done in such a way with the chant and with the, the mm -hmm. old hymns and with the- with all the um, trappings of what people love yeah. about the extraordinary form. And folks, when he says no, Norvus Ordo, or, uh, Ordo, he's talking about the uh, the ordinary, right? The, yeah, the, the regular Mass. mass. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the regular Mass. Most Catholics wouldn't be able to tell the difference because if the priest is facing away from them and it's all in Latin and it's chanted, right, they would think that it was the 1962, right? But 
that's the thing that I wrote about this for my piece yesterday that is really coming from what Pope Francis wrote is this is the Latin mass. You want the Latin mass? The reformed yeah. mass is the Latin mass. The Pope writes that every essential element of the 1000 year old plus Roman ritual, which is all of it's written in Latin, all those essential elements were preserved after Vatican II. It is wow. the same thing. The wording of some prayers was changed. Some were simplified, as Mike was said. They removed things like the last gospel, where they read the beginning of John chapter one at, at I think, only at high masses at the very end. They added another scripture reading. There used to just be the epistle, the psalm, and the gospel. Now we have first reading, psalm, second reading, gospel. So they, they changed some things, but it's still the Roman rite. So traditionalists, especially of the more radical sort, like to refer to the Tridentine one as the mass of all ages which is historically untrue, which is factually false, right. because it does not go back to the beginning. They the celebrated the liturgy in Greek originally, That's and correct. we actually don't know almost anything about what the liturgy looked like before about the eighth century. I mean, we know a little, an expert could say, well, we know this, we know that, but we don't really know how it all came about. Well, and a um, lot of the, we know what the pieces were, like Justin Martyr wrote about, that, and, well, the, no, and it, yeah. we and know it looks a lot like what we have word. now. The, the liturgy part. of the word is always Reading, followed by the liturgy of the, bread, of the Eucharist. Or, yeah. yeah, the Eucharist, yeah. So, but the po my point is, to make a long story short, this is the Roman rite. And that's what the Pope is saying. And tinkering with some of the, the ways it's done does not essentially change it. And neither does translating it into the vernacular, by the way. But if that's your thing, you like Latin, you like a certain musical style, Gregorian chant. Like, that's um, what I wish they would just you say. have all that. <laughs> Just say that. Just say that you like it like that. You, you love the lace right. and you love the music. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. You know, that's totally well, fine. I think that the I think that the Society of St. Pius X and I think a lot of the more intellectual traditionalists that we have today, um, you know, they'll argue that the right itself is inferior, the yeah. new one. Well, they say it was um, deformed even to the point of invalidity, which is absurd. Oh, yeah. Well, and so, wow. I mean, some of the things like, so for example, now we have... Um, you know, we have a three-year cycle of readings for Sundays. Yeah. We have a two-year cycle of readings for weekdays. Um, th there are all these little pieces that are, you know, these little, and they will come up with an argument for every, for the reason yes. why every single one of these things is wrong. Right. Oh, well, you think more scripture is a good thing. Well, it's bad <laughs> because, you know, because if it's all, if we do the same readings every year for, you know, there, there are other things where like, yeah. we have a lot of like optional feasts. Like it used to be one Roman calendar yeah. and, and every year you'd have to, you know, we'd have to celebrate some random Italian saint that really had no impact on, you know, yeah. culturally. Even on a and Sunday, in fact. On a, yeah. And, 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 you know, Elizabeth Ann Seton or, or whoever gets, gets completely ignored. Yeah. Um, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're Mexican, you get your Mexican saints days. If you're French, you get extra, you know, and so the calendars vary by country um, yeah. Some things are optional. Some things are, you know, they decry a lot of these options. Um, also, I guess the the instead of it used to just be Eucharistic prayer number one, which is called the, the Roman, Roman Canon. Canon. Yeah. Um, right. There are theological reasons why they brought in the three other prayers, um, the, all of which have ancient or early medieval pedigree. They didn't just make them up. Like yeah. if you hear traditionalists talk about, it, they say, "Oh, some some." free masonic clerics in the vatican wrote some new prayers and if you look carefully they're heretical no 
all the other three are all taken from the early medieval sacramentaries that we have. So they they said instead of the Roman canon, which still has preeminence, you can choose one of these four. All four go back over a thousand years in the church. You know, maybe not word for word exactly the same, right? Um, but yeah, they really flip out about that one, which let's, I confess let's I don't get it. Let's keep it going here. Um, we got we got some questions here. And again, folks, oh. if you're watching, you're listening, go ahead and give us a, a question. You have some questions for our gentlemen here that they can answer. Let's keep going. So we got Holly K. What do you think will happen next in the U.S.? Do you think there will be a mass exodus mm. to SSPX? That's the big fear, right? Also, mm -hmm. what will happen uh, to the uh, Fraternal Society of St. Peter? Yeah. Go for it. Oh, Whoever, I mean, whoever, whoever. I'll start and then I'll send it to Mike. And Mike might even have more thoughts than I do here. I don't know what's going to happen. The the So the FSSP is supposed to be the guys who left the SSPX to rejoin communion with Rome, right? To 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 not become schismatics. Um, but unfortunately, all reports are that this culture of we are the one true church is alive and well as well as resistance Pope Francis is alive and well, sadly, in the FSSP. That's right? where Taylor Marshall goes to church. It's where right. Steve Scotia goes to so church. So those masses Yikes. are clearly listed and, and all that, but like what's gonna happen? But it's, it appears the Pope has, has dodged that for now. He doesn't seem to have directly addressed it because they already have their own sort of personal parishes where they celebrate the Tridentine Rite exclusively. That's why their society exists, essentially, with full papal approval. And although no new personal parishes can be erected for the old mass, that's one of the new rules. You can't build a church now just to have the Tridentine Rite now. Right. It mm -hmm. does not demolish or reappropriate the old ones. Maybe a heavy-handed bishop could try to do that, but they would appeal to Rome the Pope did move their competence. They're now supervised like all religious orders by the same group at the Vatican. Instead of, they kind of had their own special thing going on that's been taken away. So we don't know what's going to happen to them. He could suppress them and say no new priests can be ordained. I'm kind of doubting he'll do that. I think what's more likely is each newly ordained priest will have to get that individual explicit authorization from Rome. And if he gets that, he can be ordained and thus have the permission to say the Tridentine Rite. But that's an interesting thing to watch. And, and will Rome will have his name on a piece of paper well, somewhere in a file. Thing, so. It's more tightly controlled, right? So, yeah. so it, depending how the Pope feels about this unfortunate kind of... The culture within the FSSP is apparently many of them are anti-Francis, sadly. So we'll see what he does. I don't know. Right. I do not believe there will be a mass exodus to the SSPX, honestly. I think the people who are the most enraged, some of them are already very sympathetic to the SSPX. And no doubt some will will go into full schism, basically. We can debate right. whether technically a lay person is in schism for doing that. Maybe not. Um, but it has a sort of at least quasi-schismatic feel. If you're going to elicit masses on purpose where the priests refuse to sort of acknowledge the Pope, except in a weird, they have a weird theoretical way. They kind of claim that they acknowledge him. Oh but my refuse, gosh. They refuse all obedience to him. So it's like, but how does that work? How does I, that I work? I don't think it does. 
how does that work within the mass though when we start praying for the world and they the say his name and the pope? They do they say, say and, it? and they use yeah, that they as proof in the sspx they'll say his name and they're like we love the pope and we pray for him every day and we follow all of his the valid rules that he puts so they don't say like, and let us pray it. for jorge bergoglio like they <laughs> no, no. no no they say it's it's well there's the set of acantists who reject every pope since pope uh, uh pius the 12th um, and, and that's that's like the, ne the next stop over. Like that's but the, you can't. Um, if you're an SSPX priest, you'd get kicked out if you were a set of acantists, wouldn't you? I think yeah. You would. Well, and that's how the Society of Saint Pius the Fifth got started. Yeah, we got another. Like we got another question here. Let, let's try yeah. this, Mike. Maybe this one's for you. Do other well, rites in the church have more than one form? I our think we kind of addressed that. I don't think that yeah, this think was a too. unique thing. Um, I know that some, they'll use multiple rites. Like I know there's yeah. the St. James and St. Basil in the Eastern church, yeah. but that's more like on this feast day, we use the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the liturgy of St. James. And on this mm -hmm. one we use, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think that, you, but in terms of having two alternative options, no, that's, that's pretty novel, I think. No, but they um, do have multiple liturgies, as you say. So the liturgy of St. Chrysostom is, is like one of the most common but they have other ones they can do. So they do have a little bit of diversity there of saying like, we actually have multiple ancient rites or what do you want to call them? Books or forms or prayers that we use. And, and they all exist within the same church, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so on that level, yeah, sort of. Right. So let's go there. Here's a, here's a long one here. I know we're, we're cutting it close with our, with our guy, Adam here, but before you go out, let's see, this one's a little longer, but let me try. <laughs> Oh, there you go. There you go, Adam. I'll knock myself out. Hey, love the information I'm getting from you guys. Thank you. In my experiences, I love all the variations of the holy sacrifice. In my heart, I want to show my love through reverence and respect. So one thing that was always bothering me since I started taking my faith seriously in 2012 was the moment after the transfiguration and before the sign of peace. I noticed how we stand and give peace. And then we pray the Lamb of God prayer, and I don't feel right standing. I would rather kneel. The priest is so. Oh, okay. Where's the rest of it? I don't. I don't. I guess it, it was too long. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what she's referring to because I I don't know where Natalie is located. I know but in some dioceses you like Spokane, where I was from, you do right. stand. In Cleveland, forces you yeah. to. I mean, basically, you have to stand from the sign of peace until the end of yeah. the Eucharist. You don't kneel the second time in a handful of dioceses. Right. I think that she's is not, legitimate. That's fully approved. Yeah. It's a local thing. Um, yeah, there's she's, also, from, she's from Maryland. She's from she's from here, from this archdiocese. I think she's saying that just maybe there's- Having a sign of peace interrupt right then? Or? Yes. Well, no, I like, know, but she wants to kneel, right? Right, she wants to stay at that position. Well, so I know that there was some discussion because I know in the Eastern Rite, they have uh, the sign of peace during, like before the offertory or something right. like that. And I know that um, Pope Benedict had some liturgists study the question. And the interesting thing is that during, it, like they looked in the history of the Roman rite, like the Roman rite. And when we say it's one rite that's just been reformed over the past 2000 years or however long, in Rome, that's where the sign of peace has always been historically mm -hmm. now in when it was dating the back to team, where dating back to as far dating as like, back to like as far as we know like you, you know first millennium um 
And the thing is, I know that the neocatechumenal way, now I don't know if that type of liturgy, I know uh -oh. that they have Yeah, a, I was going to say, what, is they, what are they falling in all this? In the well, they have yeah, an they... exception. I don't know a lot about them. I just know that they have a liturgical exception where they can have the sign of peace at that earlier point. I know that a lot of the Eastern churches have it at that earlier point. The reason why the Western churches didn't have it was because his, is because historically, just like what Pope Francis said, all the elements happen to be in that order. Now, before um, the, the new mass, if you went to a high mass, you'd see like the priests giving each other a formal, like, you know, two shoulder, like air kiss That's how or I'm whatever. Greet you, Mike. What's that? I'm going to greet you like that when I see you tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. The two, you know, the shoulder, like put, you know, put my hands around Josh's neck and then, and then do this. No, but that's like the um, formal sign of peace. And the people I think would just stay kneeling and they wouldn't actually, you know, they would participate in spiritually, but not actually say anything to anybody else. And they'd watch the people yeah. in the sanctuary do it. Um, but so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know if. Um, I think she's saying it, it just seems that we're, we're less yeah. reverent in the ordinary form and we break things up, but it actually makes sense for me in the sense of like, we're preparing for communion. communion. Like, like we are in communion with each other. So let's, yeah. you know, dap it up. And, and that is the know. theology behind it. It's, it's, it's just, it's not only that, that direct me and me and Jesus, me and God element. It's also, we are all in communion as a church together, right. which I and think that's why and in terms when, of the gestures and, and the ad orientum, like theologically, that's really beautiful. The fact that the, I mean, from, from the uh, extraordinary form tradition, like the Latin mass, like to be facing East to where Christ, you know, will, will, right. uh, will um, the second coming and everything else, like the resurrection to the East, like that's, that's something that gets lost. And so everything has its meaning and value. So, but what you're saying, Adam, I think in, in, um, in the future, could we, see those things adapted what's it going to take as you as you i know we're we're reaching our time with you what's it going to take to see some of the elements that people love to be applied uh to the ordinary form mass the mass that we go to right now that people are kind of stuck with well you know no one knows the future of what reforms we might see and historically they've they've occurred organically over very long periods of time through regional variations and so uh, traditions can develop, which over time go from informal to formal. And, and there's actually a rule where if a tradition is a certain number of years old, I forget, it's many decades old, it's like considered automatically licit. Like if a culture has been doing it, we've been doing this for 50 years at Mass, it's automatically considered licit, even if it deviates from the book. Um, so Josh, only 150 more years of folk masses, of guitar masses, and 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 it'll be it'll be licit. I don't know when when Adam was talking about how people's emotional response to the chant and everything, I was like, how is that any different from people getting all crazy when we're strumming the guitar? Now, I mean, you know, not like, different. It's the same. You know, I think it's good to have different musical styles available. The problem is we start fighting about them, which is so sad. You know these you know, music wars and liturgy wars, um, you know, we can have organs, we can have acapella, we can have guitars, you know, what, whatever. I but think what we can great. have, yeah, but what we can have is synthesizers. <laughs> Maybe. I, I kid you not, I'm not going to say where or who, but I was at a mass with a cardinal at confirmation and all of a sudden synth was playing and like i'm pretty sure batman's theme song like not <laughs> -na 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 batman we're talking like um 
like the like the Christopher Nolan, yeah, in B Batman with synthesizers at the confirmation mass. I kid you not, it was wild. It depends on the bishop. Hey, well, this one. Um, well, yep, the, they are the authority in their diocese. There you go. Protestants yeah, have Protestant. their music wars too. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's funny the fights we're having. They touch on cultural and human issues that are not unique to Catholics. So if you go and look at Protestant churches, that they have very similar arguments and fights that we do. For example, in the Episcopal Church, they fight about different revisions of the Book of Common Prayer. And some Episcopal churches only use the old version from before 1970, probably, or whatever year. And, you know, people get stuck in their ways. They have a nostalgia there. They have an emotional preference. Oh, this one's more dignified. But but then someone else says, no, this one's more accessible. This one's more comprehensible. People have different priorities, which is why I think that we should just stop saying that our way is superior. You know, people try to say, well, Gregorian chant is like objectively superior to folk music at mass. That's not true. Well, How would well, you and I think that? I think something that, you know, that, that we're very cognizant. I mean, so both Josh and I know Father Dan very well. And I think one thing that he's tapped into because oh, Father, Father Dan, Dan Leary, very, yeah. mm -hmm. Father Dan Leary is very he's very doctrinally conservative, very um, you know very reverent when it comes to the real presence and the Eucharist and the sacraments and all that kind of stuff. But what but he has a way of understanding what emotionally resonates with people and and recognizes how that can spur a conversion. I think a lot of times. A lot of people, a lot of traditionalists, and I'm not saying this is everybody, and I'm not saying this is universal, but they get a little bit stuck on the symbolic of, you know, of ad orientum or of doing this a certain way or of wearing the or having this kind of music or that this is objectively better. But in terms of uh, converting hearts, like I, I don't know that that that's really what resonates with most people. I think most people need to feel that that emotional, profound connection in their heart first. And sometimes, sometimes that's spurred by schlocky music, you know? Right. <laughs> sometimes it's Josh singing, here I am, Lord, on his guitar, you know, before the string breaks and he gets really embarrassed and runs off the, it runs out if of the the sanctuary. Lord wants it that way, sure. <laughs> I mean, it can be there. And and I'm not, and, and again, Adam, you said this earlier, um, you're not discrediting anybody's emotional, no. you know, experience to that particular, um, uh, form, but what, we, what we're kind of maybe saying is, is this a big deal? No biggie. Yeah, it's a big deal, but also pump the brakes. Don't leave the church. Don't jump yeah. in with the SSPX, right? Um, well, and I think the thing is, it's it, and this is kind of my my concluding thought is, in terms of thinking with the church, I mean, it's all right that we have, uh, you know, people have preferences. Changes are hard for people to accept. Um, you know, Paul VI tried to clamp down really hard you know, just to have one right, but that resulted in the SSPX kind of leaving. Mm -hmm. So John Paul made an incremental allowance and then Benedict made a big one, but it turned out that that wasn't helping bring pe people back. And no, it, was, it, was it was causing, it was, it was causing, more. it was causing further division. And the yeah, thing is, I think, afraid of now. and I think if we look, well, and here's the thing, it, I am sure it, it was like a nuclear bomb for a lot of people. I mean, not, yes. I mean, the funny thing is probably 95% of the church doesn't even notice, but like the very online, very active, you know, Catholics 
see this happening and it's like a nuclear bomb going off. And I think Pope Francis, because this is what I saw happening and I didn't know he was going to do anything this dramatic, but it's like, if this continues down the, this road, it's going to just continue to get bigger and get worse. So I think yeah. Pope Francis, you know, may God grant him many years. He's 84 years old. He's just had this health problem. I think, and he's already got so many people against him. You know, the people that he upset by doing this, 85% of them didn't like him in the first place. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I think this was him doing what had to be done. And he's going to take that, you, the wrath, the anger, it's all going to be directed at him. And he knew it. He knows it. But I think by doing it now, I mean, when I, I read a column where someone said, like, ripping off the Band-Aid and, and really saying, listen, guys, we had this council we have we reformed the liturgy. This is this is where the this is where the ultimate goal is. This is where we're headed. Um, he really, I think, took a lot of weight off his successors' shoulders and and future popes because somebody was going to have to do something eventually. Yeah. And I mean, Pope Francis let this go on for for eight years without really. And maybe that was maybe that was something that people could say. Why didn't he rein it in bit by bit rather than just. Ripping it all, ripping off the bandaid all at once. Um, but but I think, yeah, Adam was saying that it could have been, it could have been that way. He could yeah. have said forbidden well, and done. Yeah. Right? yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't ban it outright. No, but mean, the restrictions are, are are tough. And I want to know what does Sunday look like in terms of how Sundays will be. Like, does it have to be uh, uh, the ordinary form? If it's in uh, a parish church, it needs to be ordinary form from now on. Yeah, I mean, so I want to say so there's no 7:30. So there's this week at, at another church locally. There's well, no, well, no 7:30. So, so I think what I'm thinking. Well, first of all, I know that in in DC, our, uh, Cardinal Gregory s said that you know he's going to study it. So this weekend, I think right tomorrow morning will be the same. Um, so in this folks. area, I know for a fact. I know that uh, Saint John the Evangelist, Old Saint John the Evangelist Chapel, has like an 8 a.m. Tridentine Mass, and they've had it for years. That's not a parish church, really. It's just a community. So yeah. my guess is that that one will continue. Now, I don't know about like Old St. Mary's in Chinatown, or I mean, I don't know what other parishes. Uh, I mean, I don't know if St. John Newman still has one or, or any of those, but um, they may not be able to do it. Now, what I would recommend as a, as a transitionary thing is to try to do that uh, ad orientum Latin Novus Ordo as best yeah. you can. Why not um, convert to that? Do a Latin Mass at the same time. We're talking about parishes here, right? Yeah. You know, and then if it's not a parish, as long as the bishop's okay with it, they can continue indefinitely. Like right. a shrine, a chapel, a basilica. Mm -hmm. The, the people, basilica yeah. in DC does them sometimes. Well, that's right. not a parish. Yeah, so people, they, they yeah. can continue to do that if Cardinal Gregory permits it. He has to explicitly permit it now. Right. I guess my my big thing is I I, I do worry that we're like because what I know is I I've seen like you mentioned the, the neocatechumenal way and them doing masses in their basements and in homes and having their run of 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 these places, but they're out of communion. It seems you know obviously they're not out of communion, but mm. you know. Physically, like there's a distancing. There's like, well, we do our liturgy better. Well, we, you know, and so that's what I fear it could happen, but I know it needed to be ripped off the bandaid. So, yeah. And I mean, I think it already was happening. I think that was pretty clear. But, um, right. you know, mm -hmm. someone like the neocatechumenal way, the bishop always has the right. I mean, the thing is, the bishop let them into into Washington. 
And I know that they passed some rules to kind of make it like you have to at least have mass once a month with the parish and, you know, different, I mean, different things to incorporate because there are these, you know, these little segregated groups uh, that can happen, you know, and that that's a risk, you know, when, when you do anything, that's sort of a, a novel approach to church, but um, you know, we're here comes everybody. That's kind of the, the terminology. I think the key really, you know, I think there are different ways people are enriched spiritually. Um, you know, the charismatic renewal, uh, you know, praise and worship, Gregorian chant, you know, sing to the mountains uh, type folk music. I mean, it, you know, some people just like a quiet mass. Some people like, you know, Latin mass. I think the key is, though, is unity. And and that was really what was happening in these Latin mass communities was that they were um there was this real threat of criticism of unity. And, and I mean, you just look at uh, the, you know, the different groups that are really openly opposed to the Pope and really openly criticizing the, the council. And they, they are coming from these Latin mass communities, these, I'm sorry, the, the Tridentine mass communities, not, not necessarily the Latin mass. Right. Um, well, Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Uh, we got a Michael Corsini. Great conversation, guys. Really, thank you. Adam, I know you have to head out. Adam, thanks yep. so much for being with us. And uh, we'll catch you uh, on uh, where Peter is, folks. That's uh, Dr. Adam Rasmussen. Um, and then where else Where else can we find you, Adam? Oh, you'll just find me there. That's where I am. <laughs> there you go. See? Twitter. 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 I'm, my Twitter handle is Chrysologus, at Chrysologus. So you can yeah, try spelling there. that. Well, he's a saint. You'll times. you'll figure yeah. it out. The golden <laughs> tongue, the gold well not tongue, the golden worded, the golden speech saint. Anyway, it was great talking about this with all of you and and yeah. Thanks for having me. See you later. Yeah. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks. All right, Mike. Mike Corsini, you doing okay? Yeah, Mike, are you still here? Great conversation. Here we go. Um yeah, man. And so and I guess the the big question and cuz as as we close, folks, um, why do you feel the need, like, cause you started the website where, where Peter is and you've yeah. been with us before, ha haven't you? You've been with us before, yeah. once before you and you and, and father Pat. Yeah. 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 And so I really think what you guys are doing is so good because I think people need, I mean, now correct me if I'm wrong, people probably would, would, would accuse you of being like kind of like a Pope Francis apologist. What would you say to that? Um, well, you know, it's funny because I, I don't think the Pope is perfect and, and no Pope is perfect beyond um, in prudential areas that every Pope is a sinner. Um, this this particular decision of, of Pope Francis, it was purely prudential. I mean, just like just like it was with with Pope Benedict. Like, I don't criticize Pope Benedict for doing what he did. I think um, I think he had the best of intentions. He really wanted to unify the church. Um, unfortunately, there were just just events trans transpired and it, and it, it kind of backfired. And, you know, it's funny because I think people were saying that Pope Francis wanted to wait until, you know, Benedict was dead before doing this or doing something like this. And, um, you know, Benedict, uh, you know, praise God is still with us, but you know, I, I kind of wonder how he feels. I think, I think he recognizes to some degree what's happened. Um, and I, you know, even if it, it grieves him, I think it's, um, it's painful, but I, I think what we try to do is we try to, with where Peter is, to get back to your question, is we try to understand where Pope Francis is really coming from. I think early on in his papacy, people framed him um, because he does kind of use 
the everyday language that kind of, you know, he's a Jesuit. It kind of leans towards well, he's a pastor. It, it well, comes yeah. Out, you know, well, like, well, I mean, one of the things like, a like priest. you take a situation where somebody let, like, let's say somebody is, um, you know, let's say that they're, they're living a lifestyle that isn't compatible with Catholicism, you know, and imagine, you know, there are several, you just imagine whatever. Um, and Pope Francis will say, God loves you. And people will say he has wait, sanctioned wait, 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 that person. Wait, wait. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't add that. But you know, he must be a liberal. He must think that what this person's doing is okay. But I think, I think he he has a sense of people feel that the church doesn't accept them, or people feel that they're, you know, they people need to understand Christ first, or that Christ loves them before they're willing to transform their lives. Like, I mean, for example. You've got like a bunch of kids. I got a bunch of kids, you know, humane vitae. Like, is there any reason why you follow, why, why you have all these kids except for is what your faith teaches? I mean, to, and it's because, um, you know, because I love God, because I want to do God's will, because I've accepted this church is why I, you know, but people on their own are, you know, most people aren't going to say, okay, well, I just want to have five kids you know, by the time I'm 30, because I feel like it, you know, it's, it, Who especially, Who especially that? on like a youth minister's salary. So it's, for sure, for sure. No longer youth minister. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, well, I'm saying, know but at that. first you just started popping out these kids as a youth minister and it's like, that's correct. That's correct. You know, and uh, no regrets. Hashtag. Yeah. No and, regrets. and so I think people have had bad impressions of him and I think, you know, and, and I mean, both you and I are kind of spontaneous guys who blurt things out. Um, and and frankly, Pope Benedict was not that. He was very careful to dot all of his I's and cross all of his T's when he answered a question. Whereas Pope Francis just sort of like throws out an answer, like, "Oh, well, that sounds great," or you know. And and I can I can kind of relate to that right. to some you know. I mean, and people, I think most people could, and maybe that's its appeal. But I think when others see that, they're like, "Wait, you're supposed to be from the chair, Peter. You you can't just." ad lib things as you go you have to be you know signing things so i think that's that's what pisses people off the funny thing but, is uh, I, here's my theory like since he's the pope he has more ability to do that than any of us do right 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 <laughs> I, and I believe in graces that come, yeah and that, and i believe in the graces that, that are with him and, and with the chair of peter and that the church is never going to fall into 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 ruin and, and we're in a good place i think a lot of non-catholics really love over i think that's true uh, until he says something catholic that people don't agree with right yeah. and i think that's where but where even then he's to. built up goodwill i think and i right. you know it's one of those things like when he starts talking about it mm -hmm. people are maybe more willing to listen because right. he's because they know that his heart is in the right place mm -hmm. I don't let know. Me, yeah, let me real quick. So, folks, if you're watching and you're listening, you're just dropping in. We've been talking about the traditional Latin mass and the recent restrictions put up by uh, Pope Francis in his apostolic letter uh, that came out about uh, a day and a half ago. Um, let me go into the Instagram stuff, what people have been saying as we close. So some people, I ask them, what do you guys think? Are you mad, happy, lost, confused, right? People say uh, TLM, the Latin mass, is growing, oversight needed for the mass now, especially when priests decide to go rogue. Another one of our followers on Instagram at the Holy Ruckus says, uh, don't know what this means. Don't know why it matters. Maybe we need a blog post. So I'm going to refer everybody to where Peter is 
for all these kind of developments because you guys do it way better than we could. So I, that's why I love where Peter is. Another one, not surprised by the recent developments. Not surprised. Okay. Um, someone says, just go to Jesus. Everything else doesn't matter. Another one. Uh, her name is Purple says, sounds unnecessary, but I don't know all the details. Hopefully you can rewind this conversation and get some of those details. Someone says, uh, A. Robbins 2 says, I'm confused. I was too. Um, here we go. Someone says, I think a cult of some kind has sprung up from this, making it I'm better than you because I'm traditional. You see it loudly today. We're one church and some have failed to see that. And I think that's what we're kind of harping on. I've, I mean, we've been talking about this on the Holy Orchestra for, for years, jokingly, but kind of like horrified at the, at the fact that we realized like, man, I, I guess I'm not that super Catholic compared to like my traddy friends and they call them the rad trads. And, and again, not everybody's like that. And of course we're not going to paint everybody with that brush, but there is a there is a divide and uh folks that are tuned in and 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 there are people who just prefer the old mass who are really they're with the pope they're with they're with the church they don't reject right. vatican ii and it this this is painful for them you know they this is the mass that they go to and the, and they're sort of like well you know what what is this or why has this happened and they might even have liked pope francis before and now they don't you know now they they're angry at him and that's that all makes sense um, sadly, it kind of got to this point for a reason, and it's not, and it's not their fault. You know, it's it, it's it's the fault of some of some of the leadership and some of the you know some of these outspoken voices in this movement. So. Right. Um, one thing, are you familiar? As, as we 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 do have to land this plane, um, Mike. Are you familiar with Brian Holdsworth? He's on YouTube. Yeah, I, I mean a little a bit. Lions meme kind of thing going on. Yeah, he's got he's flowing the, locks, beautiful hair. Flowing locks. Um, I like what he said, what I say, but he's definitely hurt uh, by by the recent developments. And, and one of the things he said, I was watching his hour-long live stream a little bit back and forth. I mean, he, he feels hurt, but he says, you know, this is what he said. And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but here comes the quote. Uh, I get it, but the attitude is not of someone that recognizes Pope Francis as with it or with this church. He says um, – how can a, a, a pope, right, uh, who barely speaks English, right, tell someone like me who is in Canada uh, about uh, about what's going on in, in Canada? It seems very. And when I read that or heard him say this, you know, I was like, wow, that could that that's something else. That you're 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 picking on on something else with with Francis here. But I think what what some fear when it comes to the 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 rad trads and the culture that it brings that the extremists are bringing is a very like we're not we don't need other cultures we just need the 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 roots catholic which is like the european the roman and that's just not cutting it for our french community that's not cutting it for our latino community right um we need to make revisions it's true we can always do liturgy better Right, of course, as a, as a public work, but to you know, people are you know we're they're already looking for Pope Francis here to 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 lock him up. So there you go. Um, one thing he mentioned is what happened to the Pope Francis, and this is the question for you. Um, Brian Holdsworth said, "What happened to the Pope Francis that said you don't need uniformity for unity? You can have harmony in diversity." Did Pope Francis forget that quote? What do you think? Well, I I mean. 
I think in an ideal world, because I think the reason why he didn't, he even kind of praised Samorum Pontificum, um, you know, Benedict's rule early in the papacy. I think if there, if there really was unity, I don't think he would have done it. Um, I think he was concerned that, and, and he wrote a letter that accompanies it that really points out there was, there was real division. Um, there are people who do not accept the council who think, uh, you know, think that he's a heretic who, uh, you know, th some of them are even criticized like Benedict and Paul the sixth and, and, and John Paul the second as heretics and modernists. Um, and that was becoming very widespread. I think another thing, and I think maybe what, what made it happen now is the, uh, you know, the whole COVID denial anti-masking movement. Mm. I mean, the Latin it's mask, the, that was fairly mainstream. I mean, I remember there was a uh, article about, uh, you know, a priest in Denver made a YouTube video basically saying, disobey your governor, disobey your bishop. Wearing a mask is a sin. Um, and this was an FSSP priest, you know? And and I mean, and I've heard about, you know, you, you read about different um, Latin mask communities and they're like, yeah, my, my you know, TLM, I don't wear, uh, you know, we don't have to wear masks there. We don't, you know. I mean, it seems to me that that was that type of attitude that was, you know, being very defiant against the bishop was was also being fostered there. And that may have been the last straw. Right. I mean, I, I don't know what the last straw was, but I, I think that that may have been a, a contributing factor that it's just sort of like, did they respect any church authority at all? Or is it, it seems to me that it's like a given inch and they'll take a mile kind of situation. Right. All right, man. Well, we, we got to pray. Um, is there anything else we can do? I mean, what, what do we say to our, our friends who are parishioners who, I mean, do I think, CLM who think the sky is falling? What do we say to them? You know, I think, I think one of the things is it's, first of all, um, it is genuine pain. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, we all, you know, if you, fortunately you don't spend as much time on social media as I do, but there's a temptation to dunk on people and I mean, with all the trolling that I get personally right. and that, you know, that we get, it's like, you know, part of me wants to be like, you know, ha ha, but, but really, no, I mean, this is, this is the mass. This is the way that they, they, they become closer to God and, and that needs to be respected. I think encouraging, um, you know, options where they're available. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things, like, I really think that the, the Latin Novus Ordo is, is. Uh, a good, you know, midway solution. Um, I know some people will say that that's inadequate, but I think, I think what people, a lot of what drew a lot of people towards it was that reverence. If you're a priest, I don't know how many priests watch your show, but I think uh, quite a few. <laughs> I, I mean, what I would recommend is, um, you know, trying to provide a little bit for people who, um, you know, who maybe don't have their Latin mass community anymore, people in your parish providing those, uh, I mean, there's still Latin devotions that can be done, you know, maybe adding some Agnus Dei, you know, having your, your choir do a little bit more traditional stuff. Um, yeah, fire I mean, I your praise and worship guy. No, no, no. You got to you just <laughs> relegate kidding. him to like, you know, Sunday night mass with the teen group. Um, <laughs> is Mike Tenney watching? No, um, <laughs> <laughs> the um i mean it's it, it it's un, i mean it really is an unfortunate situation but i i mean I, I think that it had to come to this 
I don't think people are, you know, but it's it's going to take a while to get over. And I think a lot of people are going, I think for a lot of people, it's cemented their view that Pope Francis is awful. And I think he knew that. And I think that's why he, he knew they already thought he was awful. So he, he did it. Um, you know, he'll take the hit. But I think that yeah. it was a wise move in the long run. And hopefully, even though it's going to be ugly, I trust me, I think that some of the some things we don't know what direction they're going to take this in because this i think blindsided them it's going to be ugly for a while but i think in the long run uh it's a step towards unity in the church right 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 and i believe that as well hang tight for a little break in world youth day in rio uh pope francis asked for the church to go out and to evangelize well that the holy ruckus we're trying to do that All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are on our way out. And thanks so much for joining us in this conversation and being with us. We're so excited to keep it moving here in the summertime. Uh, episodes sometimes are few and far between, but you know what? We love you that much. And for more information on what Mike and Adam are doing, head over to www.wherepeteris.com. Where else, Mike? Where else can they find you and your work? Um, well, hopefully uh, you can. Uh, Peter's Field Hospital is, uh, if you look where podcasts are, um, go to wherepeteris.com. Everything's everything's there. And hopefully I will have an announcement soon about a new podcast I'm doing, but I can't talk about it yet. I know. So anyway. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been rocking with the best, the Holy Ruckus podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Share us around a bit, especially this conversation. And for those of you that are like, wait a second, he's not talking about music or movies and pop culture? Yeah, well, you know what? This popped and it's part of our culture. It's part of our Catholic culture and our roots. And it really irked some of our Catholic brethren and, and brothers and sisters. And so it's something that caused a ruckus. And so naturally, we're going to talk about it. It might have been a little niche, but thanks so much for rocking with us and being with us because even if you've never attended a um a latin mass or, or an extraordinary form form mass or anything like that um it's good to know it's good to, it's good to hear where the church is right now and how people are reacting to um the church uh the the um the pope and how he's trying to serve his flock and it's it's not without criticism for sure um but again as this episode is called uh biggie or no biggie uh i'm saying biggie not notorious big, but I'm saying biggie. Mike, do you think this was a big deal or no deal? I think it's a biggie uh, for anybody who follows the church pretty closely, follows church politics at all. If you know, if if you're a Catholic who who is 
stays in your lane, loves God, goes mass, goes to regular mass on Sunday, it may never affect you, and you may never know that this happened. You may not even know that Latin mass was available anywhere. But, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But, um, but yeah, no. This in terms of uh, the Vatican and and the hierarchy, this is a big deal. There it is, folks, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks I'm so sorry, much for Big e, not Please. Big e. Yes, right. This is this is this is a biggie. If you want to re-listen to this, this uh, will be up on Facebook and on YouTube in video format, or of course in our podcast. And you see it right there on Apple, Google, and uh, Spotify. Big news coming out uh, in the coming weeks. A new website is a coming. I keep saying it, but it's a coming. Uh, also, we're going to uh, talk about the the new um, Disney Plus show Loki. We're gonna, which is as I just finished. So if you haven't seen that, we're gonna talk about the the virtues and the vices of the show Loki, and we're gonna talk a little bit about um, we're gonna have a doctor, uh, Jesus Barard, uh, a, a a teacher and a doctor who's gonna talk to us about what's going on in Cuba and how um, us Catholics need to need to pray and fast for what's going on in Cuba. Ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much again. Mike, you've been awesome. I hope to see Thanks you for having me. at a mass uh, that is licit real soon. Yes. All right. Well, take care. Bye. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much uh, for being with us, and uh, we'll catch you later. Mike, hang on, and we'll see you folks later. <laughs>